else needs healing in their body? Anybody sick? Anybody got anything? Hmm? You're going to find out in today's message that Jesus has everything that you need, but you get it when you draw, when you pull. You could go to a never-ending fountain of water and die of thirst if you won't drink from it. All right. All right, then. Wow. Isabel, take a few more steps and let me know how you're doing. Well, after you're done with that huge hug. <laughs> All right. What a good day. How you feeling? <laughs> I will take jumping up and down on two previously bad feet as a good sign. All right. Well, worship team, you're awesome. Lord, you're awesome. I mean, really, I, I shouldn't call them awesome and you awesome in the same breath. It's not the same. They're a wonderful worship team, but you are truly awesome, God. You are awe-inspiring. Lord, I pray, just like with Isabel's body, that, that your kingdom come and your will be done right here in this place as it is in heaven, Lord. You know, while we're praying, let's pray for Pastor Ben and Rachel. This is their last Sunday at the Freedom Center. Lord, what a blessing they've been to so many people, Lord. Um, leading people into a place of worshiping you, God. Leading people as leaders, Lord, in their ministry, um, serving. God, we are so blessed and so thankful, those of us that have had the opportunity to know Ben and Rachel and their kids, Lord. And, and we just pray that this new ministry, this new season that you're taking them into, that they would recognize that just like everybody else, that everything they need is in the vine. And teach them how they would draw from you, Lord, that, that in their weakness, your strength would be revealed. Bless them, Lord. Make them just fruitful as can be. We just, we just bless um, Milledgeville, Georgia. I think that's the name of the town. Milledgeville, Georgia, that they're going to receive such a man and a woman of God. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I'm excited. Thanks for praying for me. Can I just tell you, the last thing in the world you ever need to be shy about is to get prayed for. Um, if you feel ever need, get prayed for. Ask. Don't be shy. Ask, ask, ask. Um, yeah. All right. We're going to... Um, we're going to speak, learn, teach, read from John chapter 15 today. And then if you want to, maybe if you're like me, I have two ribbons in my Bible. You can stick your second one over at uh, 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 3 and chapter 4. Before we start, though, I want to take just a minute. Um, man, God has been just so, so blessing me and blessing Teresa the last few weeks in giving us opportunities to just partner with them to do good stuff, fun stuff. Um, two things happened this week. Well, there was actually a bunch, but two really that were um, outstanding in my mind. First, simplest thing, Teresa and I, she's like, you know, we never do anything. We should do something. So we went to a movie, I think it was Tuesday, down in Brighton, and uh, it, the movie was about Amelia Earhart. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's it's a good movie. It's not a great movie, but it was okay. Not too bad. But after the movie was over, we were coming down the steps um, out of the theater, and there were two ladies maybe two rows up from the bottom, um, 
One was an old lady, and one was a really, really old lady. And as we were coming down, they were about to come out, and um, we stopped to, to let them out. But the, the older of the two ladies, she was really unstable. And th- so they said, well, you know, you guys go because, you know, we're going to take a little while. And we said, well, how about if you just let us help you? Maybe we could just help you get down the stairs. And it's funny how hard it is for people to receive just the simplest thing. And they said, no, that's okay. You know, we'll make it. And we said, no, we'll help you. And we kind of said, we'll help you, you know, take our help. So uh, Teresa took one arm and I took the other arm. And the lady kind of came up, shuffled out and got down the stairs. And when she got on the flat, she looked at us and she said, thank you. I mean, you'd have thought we gave her a million dollars. She said, thank you with such a, a, a sense of thanks from the depth of her heart that as I walked away, I'm feeling like, I'm starting to, <laughs> it was bright, the light came on. I like the light, that's okay. I feel like I'm sitting in the dark. You could turn the lights up if you want to. Um, but I, I, I almost started crying. I had to fight back tears. And then uh, later in the day, I said to Teresa, man, you know, when we helped that lady down, it was, it was all I could do to keep myself from crying. And she said, really, I had the same exact thing. I think it was the Lord. He wanted us to understand that that really blessed his heart, that we did that silly little thing of just helping a lady down the stairs. The second thing uh, I want to tell you about is, and, and I'll tie some of this into the message a little bit, is that on Tuesday, uh, Mike Taylor and I went up to Flint. First, we went to VG's. We bought packages of thick-sliced bologna, packages of cheese, not yicky cheese, but nice cheese, um, really good whole grain bread, some mustard, some hot chocolate, and cans of chunky sirloin burger soup. And we went over to his house and we made bologna and cheese sandwiches and uh, soup and hot chocolate and put the soup in a big thermos and the hot chocolate in a thermos and all the stuff into a cooler. And we just drove up to downtown Flint and started walking around just dragging this cooler behind us. And as we prayed, it was kind of like um, when we go on treasure hunts, right? You know, we said, Lord, just help us stumble into somebody that you want to bless today. And up in downtown Flint, you don't have to try very hard to find somebody that needs a blessing. And we took about 10 steps, and there was a guy that um, I think was probably homeless. And, you know, he had a bologna sandwich, and he, he had a, um, a bowl of soup and some hot chocolate, and he, he let us pray over him. You know, he had lots of needs. And then we walked around right to the Saginaw, and we met this guy named Roy. Actually, we gave away all the sandwiches. We gave away all the soup and all the hot chocolate. So we had a number of people that we actually got to minister to that day. Um, but Roy was the one that I think was probably the divine appointment. And uh, he asked us for money. And, you know, we said, well, you know, we didn't come up here with money. I hate to admit that I consciously didn't have money. I had seven bucks. I, I did give it all away. But it's good. I I didn't purposely carry a ton of money in my wallet. Maybe the Lord will deliver me from that too. But anyway, that's another story. We uh, sat down with Roy, and he was probably about, I would say, 25% out of his mind, you know, somewhat insane. All of them, I think, were. Um, but he was an awesome guy, and he, he didn't have anybody. No one to talk to, no one to listen to. Um, he ate hot soup. He had no socks. He didn't own any socks. He had a pair of some kind of vinyl uh, gym shoes on that his feet had smashed down the part that goes around behind your heel and smashed it down and um, every kind of thing physically. He had tooth problems. He had uh, uh, a wound in his arm where a bullet literally had gone in here and came out down here and banged around against the bones. He had a problem in his back, a problem in his legs. 
And the lesson for me in that whole experience with Roy was I want to see the miracle. I, I just, I think that I'm more about the miracle than I am about the person. And so here's this guy. Oh, and his, he had these tremors in his hands. He was in a car accident. He's only 32. And he got messed up in the car accident. He has these tremors. His hands can't, he could hardly hold the soup bowl to eat. So I'm like, sweet, you know, I'm going to get to see God take those tremors right out of his hands and all these different pains are going to go away. And none of it did. We prayed and prayed and prayed and none of that stuff got better. So I want to get up and leave because I want to go find somebody where I can see the miracle. But in my spirit, I couldn't get up. And what I think the Lord was trying to teach me is he cares more about Roy than he cares necessarily about that his hand stopped to shake and that Roy needed someone to just care about him and to love on him, and that he was the one that God put in front of us, and that we were to minister to Roy, just to be nice, just to be with Roy. And that was huge for me, because I'm like, well, God wants to heal. He's the healer, and I love to see the miracle, but what God really cares about is that we would take the time for the one. So whoever's the one in front of you this week, you know, who's going to be your Roy? I pray that, that you would just... Give them your time and, and, and give them Jesus' heart through yours so that, um, that you can be the incarnate love of Christ in their life for that moment. The other thing that the Lord impressed upon me was something that he first showed me when we were in Africa. Um, I don't know about you. I'm not really proud of this. But if I were to take you know, and close my eyes and try to picture all the, you know, the saints in heaven, guess what they look like? They look just like me. They're white people. They're, you know, about my age. They're guys and ladies. But when we were in Africa, guy, God showed me all, all these Mozambican pastors, you know. They didn't have shoes. Um, they didn't look anything like me. And he showed me, these are your brothers and sisters, not just, you know, the people that live in Fenton, Michigan or Linden, Michigan. These are your brothers and sisters and that's who's going to be in heaven with you, not just the people that are like you. And he tried to impress upon me the same thing about Roy, that Roy might not have been altogether right in his mind, and he certainly wasn't very altogether okay in his body, but God loves Roy as much as God loves me. And, and honestly, to some extent, Roy is the least of these, and he wants to pour his love through his people to someone who would be the least of these that they might have. Because Roy doesn't know God's love from his provision, right? He doesn't have socks. Honestly, the guy said he had no underwear. We hoped that he would stay when we got back so we could take him to the store, but he had disappeared by them. And the guy said, I have no socks and I have no underwear. God loves him. And I had, that was the revelation to me, is when I look at Roy, he's the guy that's going to be standing next to me worshiping God in heaven because God loves him. So that was a little sidetrack. I'm sorry. Um, John 15, verses 1 through 17 today. I read this a hundred times this week, and only right there during worship did I get what the message is for today, which was different than I thought when I came. Let me read you the verses, and then we'll go back through what I think the Lord's given me, and we'll, we'll pick back up on the verses again. So get comfortable. Here we go. Starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit... He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. This is the command, or this I command you, that you love one another. That's an amazing course of scripture. Um, In your mind, as I go through the rest of this message, I want you to remember branch, vine, fruit. Or vine, branch, fruit, I guess is the order that Jesus uses. The vine, the branch, and the fruit, okay? So first... um, a lot of times we struggle with, you hear people talk about, you know, what's my purpose? I don't have purpose in my life. What am I supposed to do? I think really what our, our struggling issue is that we don't really believe that we make a difference. Um, whenever Teresa and I took on this role, it's very satisfying when we can sense that we've made a difference, that that you speak a message that touches someone's heart, that maybe helps them to draw closer to the Lord or, or whatever, you feel like a million bucks. And if you feel like that didn't happen, you question a little bit. And, and what it is I think that we're hungry for is to make a difference. So if we look, we'll start at the end and then work our, start back at the front and work down again. In verse 16, Jesus explains to us that we do have a purpose, that we can make a difference. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. I thought the message was about fruit. It's actually, it's actually a part of the message, but it's not the message. Um, that is our purpose. If we will produce fruit, then we will make a difference and we'll be satisfied in our lives. So that begs the question, then, what is fruit? And he doesn't really explain in this course of Scripture about what fruit is, but I think you can get a sense for it in a couple other places in Scripture. In chapter 14, prior to this, um, Jesus says in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. So, one type of fruit that we could produce in our lives is the works that Jesus did. So if there's a sick person, you know, someone whose feet are injured and, and Jesus would have prayed for them and the sickness or the disorder would have gone away, that's bearing fruit under the kingdom, right? In the kingdom, when the kingdom is fully manifest, where God's will is absolutely uh, present, it's heaven, 
That's what heaven is. It's the perfect representation of God's will. So anytime we see something here that's outside of what we would see in heaven, then it would be his will that it would be different because that's the prayer that Jesus told us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So we are bearing fruit unto the kingdom when the power of God flows through us in such a way that someone gets healed or delivered, um, that, that uh, someone like Roy gets just, even if it's an hour of, he can, he can just be blessed because he knows that someone cares enough about him to sit and talk with him, to feed him a bowl of soup. Another example would be in Galatians chapter 5. You're familiar with the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, in verse 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. So if we exhibit, if, if our countenance, if um, who we are, right, as, as we become renewed in our mind, we're transformed, then more and more of the fruit of God's Spirit, of who He is, His nature is in this fruit, will be manifest in our lives. And as we go out and and we're present in the world, we bring the kingdom with us because the kingdom is a kingdom of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. So examples of bearing fruit look a lot like doing the works that Jesus did and the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5. Uh, Next question then might be, how do I bear fruit? Let's go back and read uh, verses 1 through 6 again to get a sense for this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. That actually doesn't tell you how to bear fruit, but it's a pretty good warning that if you're not finding any fruit in your life, you need to find, get some fruit going because you don't want to end up being cut off from the vine. So there's three keys I can see here in these verses to bearing fruit. The first is where are you connected? The second is this process that... Jesus calls pruning, and the third is abiding. So um, in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Where you're connected as a branch matters to the kind of fruit that's going to be in your life. If you're attached to the true vine, then the nourishment that flows from that vine is going to produce a fruit that's attractive. But if you're attached to something other than the true vine, and there is only one true vine, everything else would be an imposter or a perverter or in some way um, not true, then the nourishment that's going to come from that, the, the I don't know what you call it, that's going to come from that vine is going to produce a fruit that's not fruit unto the kingdom, that doesn't look like Jesus, that isn't true love, joy, peace, those kinds of things. So first key is to be connected to the true vine. Second key is this process of pruning, right? Anybody that's um, been a Christian for any length of time has probably, whether you recognize it or not, you might have prayed a prayer that says, oh Lord, you know, I want to be like Jesus. 
And then you said, what happened? You know, my life got horrible. I asked God to make me like Jesus, and the next thing I know, I'm dealing with, you know, trial this, and I lost my job, and, and I, you know, this happened and that happened. And what's, what's actually going on in that process is you're being pruned. We, we have things from our flesh, things like selfishness, um, pride, uh, lust. There's just all kinds of junk that, as a branch, if... God doesn't come and prune those things off, of, off from us, away from us, then the fruit we're going to produce is going to be less than the really, really beautiful, attractive fruit that's going to cause people to want to come and be in his kingdom. So the process of becoming ultimately like Jesus, the bride that has no spot, no wrinkle, is painful because there are you know, little growths that are come out from our, our self that need to be pruned back so that the fruit that we draw or that we produce is excellent fruit, not just okay fruit. And you see that if you know anybody that like owns an apple orchard, right? Apple trees are constantly, constantly being pruned. And as they prune the trees, the quality and the quantity of the fruit that they produce is much better. So uh, key number two is this process of pruning by the Father. Third is to abide. To abide means to remain, to continue, to stay. So your, your branch has to abide in the vine. Without the vine, you can do nothing, right? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. There's no um, kingdom value to a life that's not connected to the vine. There are um, two different facets to abi- abiding. Interestingly, um, God showed me these three keys to abiding and I thought from the John uh, chapter 15 scriptures that it says, you know, abide in me and I abide in you. So I thought, okay, as long as I can abide in God, he'll abide in me. But I think it's possible, at least for a, a time, that God would abide in us, his Holy Spirit abides in us, when we may not actually be abiding in him. I don't believe it's possible that we can produce fruit in that state, but God will abide in us for some period of time, even if we're rejecting him um, through not abiding. I don't know a better way to say that. But ultimately, I think, if we refuse to abide in him, we will not produce fruit. And as the scripture says, we'd be cut from the vine, cast away into the fire to be burned. So, abiding, to remain, to continue, to stay. Um, Two facets. One, Jesus in you. And the second, you in Jesus. Three keys to abiding we actually find in 1 John. Uh, verse 3 and, or excuse me, chapter 3 and verse 24 says, The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know this, that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So, one key to abiding in Jesus is obedience, that we would obey his commandments. And it says, If we'll obey his commandments, we'll abide in him. The second is in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. So loving, and you'll, you see that all through the uh, Gospel of John chapter 15, that if we will abide in love, we will abide in Jesus. And then the third is to confess or acknowledge or believe. It says in chapter 4 and verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So three keys to be conscious of, if you're not sure, am I, am I truly abiding in the vine? Ask yourself the question, am I obeying God's word? Maybe you should ask yourself a, a, a setup question to that. Do I know God's word, right? It's hard to be obedient to a Lord that you don't know. 
So you would press into the Lord so you would know his word and his commands that you might obey them and abide, that you would love one another, which truly is how you express love to God, is by loving one another, obeying his commands. His command is that you love one another. And then the third thing would be, is your faith right? Do you really believe, would you confess that he is the Son of God, Lord and Savior? Okay, Um, let's see. Let's go to verse 4 and 5 again. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the key here is to remember that you can do nothing. I can do nothing. None of us can, can have any effect, can make any difference apart from Jesus. If we don't abide in Jesus, we, we cannot do anything that would be fruitful to the kingdom. Um, some branches produce fruit, some don't. The vine, right? I mean, all power, everything that, that, that the world needs to be free, to be saved, to be um, delivered, resides in Jesus Christ. But, but the vine produces no fruit. All the fruit is produced on the branch. We're the branch, right? The fruit comes from the branch. The nourishment, the source, everything that the branch needs to produce the fruit comes from Jesus, who is the vine. But the vine doesn't produce the fruit. Could Jesus produce fruit? Absolutely. But that's not the way that the Father or Jesus or the both of them have decided that the order of this world is going to be, that the fruit is going to be produced on the branch of his people. This is where the revelation came for me. Um, actually, Teresa, my wife has a, she's she's not a nerd, but she has a, a biology and a chemistry degree and never really used it that much until earlier this week when I was telling her about how God was waking me up to this whole concept of uh, the branch and the vine and the fruit and everything. And she was telling me what it meant to her, and I just, I couldn't connect to it. And she could tell I couldn't connect to it, and she's, she started to explain to me that the way she thinks about those kind of things comes from her education in biology. And she explained that the way um, in nature that branches and vines or you know, branches and trunks work is everything that the branch needs is in the trunk, but the trunk does not provide anything to the branch unless the branch draws on the trunk. So the process of nourishment of the branch that ultimately develops the fruit is a process excuse me, of drawing, of drawing. So that if the branch is going to produce any fruit, it can't just be this. There's no pressure in the trunk that would drive nourishment through the branch to feed the fruit. That was revelatory to me. Um, in nature, fruit has a purpose. The purpose of the fruit is to protect and disperse seed. So another thing I didn't know. I thought that that the fruit, that like as the seed inside the fruit, right? You can think of an apple. It has seeds, and then there's this really sweet, sugary fruit around it that, that that fruit was supposed to be food for the seed so that it had something that it could start its life on and grow. Turns out that's not the case. The fruit is there to protect the seed and also to disperse the seed. Um, life is in the seed. Right? You could take <clears throat> excuse me, you could take a flower seed and put it in the ground, and if it's nurtured in the ground, you get some water, 
and there's some, some nutrients in the ground, it'll be a flower. But you can take that same seed and put it in a drawer in your house, and, and it just stays a seed. Nothing happens. The life is still in there, but nothing happens to the life unless the nourishment that it requires is brought to it. Okay? Take it out of, the, out of your drawer 10 years later, put it in the ground, put some water and some, some nourishment out, and the thing will grow a flower. It's amazing. Life is in the seed. Um, the way that f- the fruit protects and disperses, this might get a little gross, but if, um, if uh, I'm trying to think of a fruit and an animal, you know, some animal like a, a horse or a deer, you know, the apple falls to the ground, the, the, the fruity part protects the seed as it comes down, and then a deer eats the apple. And then the deer walks across the field to some place where there is no apple and releases the seed, if you know what I mean, right? At some point, he's going to put the seed back on the ground, and now the apple has found, the tree of the apple has found a way to grow someplace else. And it was the fruit. If the fruit was horrible, the deer wouldn't eat the fruit, and it would have never gotten dispersed to another place. To produce fruit, the branch must receive nourishment. To receive nourishment, the branch must draw from the vine. The vine does not push nourishment to the branch. So you have vine, branch, fruit. Something eats the fruit, disperses the seed. Then the, the seed goes into the soil, and the soil tends to the seed at that point. If You probably don't remember, but some number of months ago, um, we talked about the parable of the seed and the soil and, and how God showed that it's, it's how the soil values the seed that determines the crop, the harvest that's going to come from the seed. If, this, if the soil is rocky, it doesn't value the seed very much. If there's weeds and thorns and things, um, you know, they steal the nourishment that the seed might need to really grow and produce a crop. So uh, the soil tends to the seed. Good soil can produce a crop, Bible says, up to 100 times as great as that seed itself. It's very interesting. It's, God never misses a trick. Um, if you don't understand culture, you miss something from Scripture. You know, the, the culture in which it was written. If you don't um, have some opportunity to look into the original language, you miss something. And when God uses um, pictures like vines and branches to explain his kingdom and our role in it, if we don't have some understanding, we can lose some of the fullness of the message that he's trying to give us. So um, maybe that's why God gave me a wife who likes biology. So in the kingdom, it's, it's cool how it works. The John 15 scriptures told us that we have a purpose, right? Our purpose is to bear fruit. Um, like nature, the purpose of the fruit that we bear is to protect and disperse seed. If you look in Scripture and see where God uses the word seed, it, re- it represents his word. If you look at um, Romans chapter 10, and it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you read just a few verses beyond that, it says, faith comes from hearing and hearing of the word concerning Christ or the word of God. That's a saving faith that he's talking about. If that person doesn't receive the word of God, that is Jesus Christ, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, then there is no life in that person, right? Their eternity is death. Life is seed. It's amazing. God uses seed as his word. That's the picture for his word. We're to bear fruit. Fruit is to protect and to disseminate seed. So if you think about that in the kingdom, um, sorry, I get ahead of myself sometimes when I actually know what I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, Luke 8 in uh, verse 11 says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. All right. Um, so we abide in Jesus, our true vine. 
how do we abide? Through obedience. We obey him. We love one another. And we confess, truly believe in our heart that he is the son of God. In order to produce fruit, just like the branch on the vine, we have to draw. You have to draw. You have to be hungry. You have to be thirsty. Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. You can't be a disciple of Christ unless you eat, unless you drink. You have to draw. He isn't forcing himself through us that, that fruit might be produced by us. We have to draw from him, just like the branch has to draw from the vine. And he shows us an example in the scripture that there are branches that don't produce fruit. They couldn't help but produce fruit if they were drawing from their source. So if they don't draw from the source, then the vine dresser, the father, removes them from the vine, they're cast off, and they're burned. They get burned up. It's amazing how similar it is to nature. So we draw from him the source of our nourishment and our strength, producing fruit in our lives that is attractive to others. Remember, we talked about good fruit is very attractive. Love, joy, peace, patience. Um, Somebody sees a sick person get healed. That's very attractive. As people experience this fruit that's coming from us, they receive then the seed. And it's interesting, if you read the parables about the seed and the soil, the soil is literally the condition of a person's heart, right? Our job is to protect and deliver the seed. How do we do it? By being fruit. Someone then receives the seed, which is the word of God, into their life. And depending on the condition of their heart, they might be rocky soil or thorny, um, weedy soil. And the Bible says that that soil that's full of thorns and weeds, uh, it gets excited. You know, it receives the word, but the thorn and the weeds, they represent the cares of life and the pleasures of this world. And what they do is they steal the nourishment. They steal the thing that's in the seed of life, and ultimately that plant, that, that new thing, it dies because the soil didn't care properly for the seed. But then he says there's good soil, and, and when the seed falls on this good soil, that soil, it values the seed and it nourishes the seed, and it holds on to it tightly, and through that process of embracing the seed, then the life is able to grow, and then that plant produces a crop of up to 100 times more. We have to be connected to the vine to draw. You know, Daniel, maybe you guys could come back up now. Um, you could see that in Luke 8, or I think it's Mark chapter 4, where um, Jesus tells the parables of the seed and the soil. Um, so then the question becomes, if we ever have that sense of... Um, I don't have a purpose. You know, I don't feel like I make a difference... The answer is that you're probably not gotten yourself in a place where you're drawing from your source. Because if you would stay connected to the vine, you will, and draw, right? You, you can be connected but not draw, but you have to draw. How do you draw? I think you, you press in. Um, I feel like a broken record, but I think you draw from your source when you know the source, when you read the Word of God. There's more than just... Um, you know, words coming into my consciousness when I read. There's spirit in God's word. There's, it, it's seed, it's life. And something happens when I draw from his word that I might get that nourishment. Um, when I pray, when I worship, um, the woman at the well, Jesus said, I, uh, I am living water. If you drink of my water, that you'll never thirst again. That produces healthy fruit. So earlier this week, um, Mike and I went up to Flint and we 
had been drawing, right, from the source that is Jesus. We were branches connected to the vine. And the fruit, I think the fruit that we were producing at that moment was love. That, that we were, right, Jesus was incarnate love in this, pla- in this planet. He walked for three years uh, in his ministry, maybe 30 or 33 years as a man. But he was literally the incarnate love of God in this place, on this planet. Then he left and he said, it's better that I go that the Holy Spirit will come and you'll receive my spirit and you'll do even greater things than I did. You'll produce this fruit that that has the potential to be even greater than the fruit that I produced when I was here because the helper's going to come. So my question then is, are we tending to the fruit? Are we abiding in the Lord in such a way that we really are drawing that nourishment and then um, protecting and nurturing that seed? Are we that soil that is um, places such value on the seed, God's word, his heart, his will, that we're attractive to other people, that the fruit of his spirit is manifested in our lives? The song that um, they're going to sing for us and then we'll be done is called um, We Are Hungry and We Are Thirsty. Remember, you can stand at the fountain of water and die of thirst if you don't drink. So I guess um, the, the point that the Lord made to me when I was just down on my knees worshiping was I thought the message was fruit. And that, that's a message. It's a good message in and of itself about producing fruit. But I think what he wants us to hear is that none of it matters if we won't draw. So I don't know that you can feign or fake being hungry and thirsty, but I would invite you to stand and ask the Lord. He's the source of everything. Lord, I just, I just pray for every heart that truly, truly, truly wants to be a producer of healthy, awesome, beautiful Jesus fruit, but might not have that hunger yet, Lord, that as they cry out, that even if the words of the song don't represent 100% the position of our hearts, that by your grace, I'm asking for me, Lord, each person would have to ask for themselves, that you would burn in me a hunger and a thirst for more and more of you that would cause me to be at the fountain drinking, that I would be eating the bread of life, Lord. And then from that, I could produce awesome fruit and that you could pass a million roys in front of me and every single one of them is going to be blessed because I will be the fruit-bearing incarnate love of your son, Jesus, everywhere that I go. I pray it for me and and I pray that it be answered for every person that, that that would be their heart, Lord. And anyone who, it wouldn't be their heart, I pray that they would have an experience with you, Lord, such an experience that would cause them to be hungry for more, Lord. I don't know about a chicken or an egg, which one comes first, but I know, Lord, with every new revelation of who you are, of your love, of your glory, it makes me want more, Lord. So I just pray that that you would give us the grace of the revelation that we might be hungry for more and more and more. pray in Jesus' name, amen.
we're done, I pray that each of you will make time this week to draw from your source, to be nourished, that you might produce fruit, and that fruit would remain, and that you will be light and salt, the incarnate love of Jesus Christ to every person that you see. If it's just so little as a smile or so much as a prayer or a hug, I just pray that you will constantly draw, draw, draw. Be like a dry sponge against that vine that has everything that we need to produce fruit. God loves you so much. Have an awesome week. Awesome, awesome week.